Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. At Leia Healthcare, we always want to give our members more. So now you get unrestricted access to a world of benefits that will help you stay healthy. From convenient video calls with a GP to get prescriptions online, to easy access to experts when you finally want to do something about your ropey knee or dodgy back. And if you do need to see someone urgently, our clinics are available for minor injuries, all without you needing to put your hand in your pocket. Let's stay on top of your health, in every way. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Unrestricted benefits are available until the end of December. Fair usage policy applies. Hello and welcome to the Open Goal podcast, keeping the ball on the ground in association with our friends at William Hill. Delighted to say, once again, joining me, Mark Guidi, I've got our very own Simon Ferry. How you doing, Simon? I'm good, mate. How are you? Not bad. You look nice and fresh, actually. Been nice for a, I've been for a 10k ah, this morning, mate. Have you glow about us? You have, actually. Uh-huh. Ah, you've got a nice wee it's glow the best you've seen us, isn't it? Unusual for a Tuesday morning. Look, you're looking well. Cheers, now, mate. I know we've pulled off some some top names in the podcast in the past year or so, haven't we? I've pulled <laughs> off a few belters, but sitting alongside you around the company of greatness, we've got the legendary music writer, one of the top show business people uh, in the UK, alongside us, Mr Billy Sloan. Billy, good morning. That was a fiver well spent. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, said if you want a good intro, get the money in the post, so that was a fiver well spent. I like the jacket. Yeah. You like that? Yeah, right? I, do well, I like thought it. I'd try and even though it's only a podcast, I thought I'd try and look smart because the competition's dreadful. <laughs> it's the same material as my face leather. It's dreadful. <laughs> now, we'll get onto Billy's uh, story later on with all the, the great interviews that he's had and, and, and show business. But just to give you a wee flavour, because we're going to talk about the football, we'll talk about Scotland, we'll talk about Harry Redknapp in the jungle, and we'll talk about Billy's show business career. Uh, his. Great contacts, great friends, such as Marty Pello, Jim Kerr, Bono. He loves his boxing. He's met 18 world champions of boxing, including Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Mike Tyson, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard. Wow. He's also met and interviewed Pele, Ronaldo, George Best. But above all, aye, shite. above all else, <laughs> and, and we'll get into it, he's, he's a soap addict. He's met and interviewed Norris. For the Norris and Rita uh-huh. for the for the corner shop, and apart from he's a brilliant writer, 
a brilliant broadcaster as well on, on BBC this Scotland and at Radio Clyde. But he missed, he missed his calling. What he really should have been. He loves his grub. He should have been a food critic. You really wanted to be a food critic, didn't you? I, I, I could be a food critic, <laughs> critic still. I mean, you know, I, I do like my grub. It has to be said, you know, I, I like a wee bit of late night scran. I, I remember so, when, when we were at the Sunday meal together, we used, every January we used to do a diet challenge. You know, you would come in after the excess of Christmas and New Year. And there'll be six or seven days, there'll be Scotty McDermott, Gordon Waddle, Billy Berfuse, and uh, we'd go on the scales, we'd all put in 50 or 60 quid, and the winner at the end of the month would have lost the, lo- lost the most weight, would get the kitty. Uh-huh. So Billy comes in, he starts, he goes on the scales, whatever he is, bum bum bum, he said, right, so he's opening day, he went right into the canteen, the two rolls and sausage. <laughs> See, I, 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 I didn't want it because it was a, a significant kitty at 50 quid ahead. but had I won it, I would just have got the money and went straight to the shish mahal, so it was probably a blessing. And, and the great, there was a great line from Scotty McDermott in the Sunday Mail, you know, when somebody says, you cutting down a bit, Scotty, he went, yeah. I'm doing two chicken Kievs a day. <laughs> Followed by an angel he's, delight. He's feeding away to a baby elephant, that boy. <laughs> anyway, bro, right, we'll crack on. On to the, the football Scotland Saturday night. I know this is Tuesday and we've got the game tonight, I hope we Israel. A game that we need to win to finish top of the section and get a playoff place. But Saturday night, Simon, 4-0 against Albania. Uh, Terrific result, great performance. Brilliant. Really, really good performance. I thought it started really well. Went one up and then went down to 10 minutes. I thought we sat off the game for a bit, for the, for the next 10 minutes. When we went down to 10 minutes, it was a bit, when the other team went down to 10 minutes, sorry. I was a bit baffled by that, but then get the second goal and really comfortable. And not just that, some of the football we played was, was outstanding. I mean, we Forest second goal was, yeah. what was it, 20 passes or something? Yeah. For left back up and then his finish was, was outstanding. So really positive for Scotland. Looked like a young, dynamic team that can play. Um, that's the best I've seen Scotland play for a long time. And there was plenty of energy in the team as well, which was good to see Alan McLeish picking a team like that. But I mean, the result was was fantastic, but you know, you're looking at it and thinking, you know, how, why can it not be like that all the time? Because with the best world in the world, you know, you should be beating Albania four nothing, three hundred and sixty-five days of the year. But you know, the team seemed to have a bit of belief. I don't know if it was anything to do with all the, you know, the multiple call-offs and the team was a bit of a, a patchwork quilt. It was almost as if when the guys ran out the tunnel, they thought, you know, we've got to kind of prove ourselves all over again here because uh, you know they really put in a shift and I, w- I was delighted I mean you know hopefully it's not going to be a banana skin when it comes to, t- to Israel you know later tonight but you know it would be absolutely fantastic if you know Scotland could keep that level of momentum because it was a, a brilliant performance and a, and a sensational result If I knew Simon watching your old pal Stephen Fletcher back in leading the line scoring you must have been delighted for him brilliant obviously we met him on Tuesday when we were doing Andy Robertson great to see him again he's a proper character Fletch um, he's good he'd be good for the young boys because he's got a bit about him um, I think he'll take on the role that Naismith had where he'll, he'll get onto people if they're not doing it is he a leader he's a leader part, yeah. I, remember, I remember when we were younger I've told you we used to do crossing and finishing if you cross the ball over his head he would just catch it and volley it away he's one of the guys he, just, he, he, he expects high standards Fletch um, and he'll bring that to the squad and he's got a great personality and above all he gets a lot of stick but I'm telling you now he's a top player he's a very good player Stephen Fletcher Getting into the game Billy there was a lot of negativity particularly towards Alan McLeish and you know the 9 or 10 call-offs and players don't want to be there and da 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 do you think that would have been used as a 
a bit of motivation for the for Alex. Abso- absolutely. I mean, I think you know, I, I I feel quite sorry. Sorry is probably the wrong word for McLeish because you know he's, he's between a rock and a hard place. You know, he's come in to do a difficult job. He's only got the players at his disposal. Then you've got to be immediately suspicious and think, you know, the call-offs through genuine injuries, or is it just the fact that you know somebody's got a wee niggle and they think, well. We don't want to play for the manager, so mm. you know we'll just sort of give it a miss and maybe catch up the next time or catch up when there, there, there's another manager. So as I said earlier, without a shadow of a doubt, you know the, the guys who came into the team at the weekend, you know they've been going all out to prove themselves, and uh, you know it'll be difficult for a, a lot of these guys who were in the call-offs to get to get back in. I mean, you know they're, they're, they're supposedly uh, drafting John Fleck in for tonight. Mm. Now I would like to see him, you know, getting a, a game at some point because I think he's a good sort of organizer in the middle of the park. You know, we need somebody that can hold the ball and somebody that can kind of, you know, have a bit of a, a, a power and a bit of muscle in there. But, you know, why change a winning formula? You know, 4 nothing and at, at the weekend, you know, it's going to be difficult to sort of meddle with that to, to, to an extent. But, you know, hopefully it doesn't become the proverbial Scotland banana skin and, you know, we pluck, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory. But fingers crossed that it goes our way. Well, do you think, my think Fraser and Forrest White is a must? Yeah. Any chance you get to play the two as a front three with the two yeah. wide left, they're, and just, they're so direct, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're and you need that with Scotland when yeah. you're no great at keeping the ball. You need guys that can get a hold it and run up the pitch with. I thought they two were outstanding, really good. Do you expect Israel to be on the the back foot tonight? You really think Scotland will take the game in them? I do. I do. I really like that Scotland team. I like the whole setup. You know, with an actual left footer at left back and a Callum Patterson at right back. Um, the three in midfield are great. Three guys who can run, can tackle, can handle the ball. Uh, and then, as I said, the two up front with Fletch. I really, I really like the balance of the Scotland team. Um, and I can see them taking it in tonight, and I think we'll beat Israel comfortably. Look, longer term, I know we need to take it one game at a time, particularly when, when there's so much riding on tonight. But longer term, when you're talking about that team, you like to look at the three in the middle of the park, etc., etc. Andy Robertson, the captain. Can you see Kieran guys as talented as Kieran Tierney and John McGinn struggling to get back into the Scotland team? Oof, it's tough, isn't it? I think Tierney will get back in. I think he will get back in. I but he ain't going to be left back, though, no, is he? Play right back, I think. Right back. I think he'll play right back. Um, John McGinn, I think he'll struggle to get back in. I think Christie's in the form of his life, really confident, looks like a proper player. And the one guy that I want to mention who I thought was great, and I don't know why he's not being called up, was David Bates. Yeah, yeah. Just a no nonsense centre half that heads the ball and kicks it. We've got players in front of him that can play. I thought him and McKenna looked really good next to each other. He looks like a big, strong boy. Really like Bates. I even liked him at Rangers, I thought he was a right good defender at Rangers, never made many mistakes. He's went over at a big club in Hamburg and done well as well. So Yeah, it's a sore one for, for if you think that Steven Gerrard had to, to, to bring in three central defenders. I know it was a, a situation that he inherited not having David Bates, but when you look, you know, it wasn't a lot of money that they missed out on him for in terms of getting him on a new, a new deal. Uh, well, I think if you young Scottish boy and you get a chance to go and play it, but no, it's not the Business League, is it Mark? It's the one underneath that. Yeah, Business League too. A big club yeah. like Hamburg... Um, and that'll bring his game on massively, playing in Germany. I mean, the coaching and, and the players that you'll play over there. Um, it's a massive loss for Rangers, I think, because he'd be, he'd be a Rangers centre-half, no doubt. Do you like David Bates, Billy? Aye, and I mean, I think, you know, as Simon says, you know, going to Germany, you know, everything about it's, you know, win-win. You know, it's a great place. I've, I've been to Hamburg. In fact, the first time I ever went abroad, 
I went abroad with Rory Gallagher to Hamburg. It was like Forrest Gump. I'd never been out the country before and I had to get a passport and go. And it's a great city and the whole German way of life, you know, the whole efficiency and the diet and that kind of thing. I mean, there's no way that that guy's going to go and play in Hamburg for a number of years and not come back a better mm. and improved player. In every single respect, not only just as a, as a footballer, but as a person as well. And when you think of the Scotland players that have uh, been to Germany, you know, Mark McGee being a great example, you mm. know, I mean, they've all, they've all come back and they've all, you know, prospered when they've been out there, so I can't see him being any different. Well, right. Paul, Paul Lambert's got with... Yeah, he will. <laughs> Hamburg, Hamburg's right up the north towards Scandinavia, so it's you still not... need it. Uh, you'll, for him, <laughs> any glimpse of sunlight, you'll good enough it. for the Beatles, it's good enough for him. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, so, we're confident, we're hopeful that we get a victory tonight to be, to be top of the group. But we need to look at the the, the alternative. We don't win tonight. We don't finish top with the group. Will there be calls for for Alec McLeish's head? I think so. Have we done the top of this group by Albania and Israel? Then I think I think he will get. I think he'll go. Uh, there'll be calls for it definitely. But ultimately, I think if we don't win this group, Alex McLeish will, will be out of job. I think. What do you think? Well, I was going, to, Billy. Would that be fair considering? Yeah, he's had 10, 11 months in charge, but tonight is only his fourth competitive game I think it's a results led business mm-hmm. and you know when you look at the statistics and you see you know does he get through the group or does he not get through the group but having said that you know if Alec McLeish is told you know thanks but no thanks realistically who do you bring in you know mm-hmm. there's not a a big rush of applicants you know in the building for the job and at the end of the day you know when McLeish comes in He's only really got to sort of work with the players he's got. You know, unfortunately, we don't have a Kenny Dalglish and we don't have a Billy Brennan, we don't have a Graham Souness and we don't have a, an Ali McCoy. So he can only work with the people he's got. So, you know, it's a bit of a poison chalice all of a sudden. And, you know, if I was to put you on the spot at the moment, say, right, who would be the three contenders for the job? A, would they make it any better job of it? And B, would they want the job in the first place? So I, I think you've got to give him a bit of time, but the results speak for themselves. And if he doesn't think, get through the group, it's going to be Venables too much. Denny Venables would take it. Why do you say that? Well, because... <laughs> <laughs> it's a long-standing <laughs> job. We, 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 always, we always like Denny. If we we had him like to the Albion Rovers job a couple of weeks ago, then Kevin <laughs> Harper came into it. No, I've never met him. <laughs> It's a running joke of it, but no, we're going to get we're one. Going to get I think it, actually right? he's a number two. I don't know why I get too near him in case his permatan rubs up and he's on my shirt. I would think uh, I would think Alec would struggle to hold his job if they don't win tonight, purely because you've got to judge the mood of the supporters, mm-hmm. and the supporters, there's a bit of apathy. Uh, certainly okay, Saturday night was positive, but I think longer term, when you're trying to put bums on seats inside hand and get 40,000, 50,000, know, you might struggle if Scotland don't win tonight who's the contenders Moyes I don't know yeah D- David Moyes he's, he's out of work Look, looking closer to home just that your thing you've got Malky Mackay already in the SFA you've got Stevie Clark at Kilmarnock you've got Derek McInnes at Aberdeen there's there's contenders mm-hmm. but I think it's only fair that we give Alec the chance but to the, go and win tonight and the, the support the problem with that is you know you're saying you know Stevie Clark and and Derek McInnes, you know, they're picking a team and playing week in, week out. Suddenly, you know, you're in a job where, you know, by the very nature of it, you know, it's a game every six or eight months and, you know, you get the players together for a, a, a weekend and you play a game on the Saturday and a game on the Tuesday kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Would Sounds Stevie Clark want to give up the cut and thrust of, you know, week in, week out, you know, okay. picking a Kilmarnock team, Derek McInnes challenging for cups and challenging for the title? It's a big ask for them to give up something as, as, as good and fulfilling as that. Yep. Well, what we'll do is we'll stay positive yeah. because we want to win tonight, okay. and we think 
that we can win. What's your prediction? Who's your, your key players tonight, Simon? Forrest and Fraser. 2 0 Scotland goal each. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 2 0. Clean sheet, yeah. Bates Good. and McKenna. I think that's spot on. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, Scotland could win two nothing. Just you know, don't do the usual and you know lose a goal. You know, midway through the second half, and then the panic sets in. But I think Scotland are more than capable of beating this Israeli team without a doubt. And hopefully, we get a good crowd tonight as well. It's important that the the Tartan Army are there and and, and get behind the Alex players. No, I'm not going. It's Emmerdale River City and Stenders and he can't even. I'll tell you, Frank Mack's going in, Frank Mack and Benny's going, he told us in the coop. Mack are going, yeah. Uh, he's going, so there you go, that's enough, that's all you need. Are you going, Billy? No, no, I'll be staying going, Simon? in River City. I'm coaching the nightmare, I would be there. I'm not asking what you're doing, I'm asking <laughs> if you're going to the no, game. No, I'm not going there. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm making dinner, so I, I can't go. Are you just one of your cheeky wee. Tweets, I don't know if you had a couple of pints on Saturday or what are you? No, I had a couple the of Astro, pints. The Astro Astro Tough. You getting the Astro Tough down the Levy boys in, in for the game? Uh, it was a good tweet, wasn't it? I think it's a great idea. See, if it's a draw you're needing, mate, get a hand in Astro Tough and Livingston will get you a draw against <laughs> anyone, I'm telling you. Right, let's hope we get a victory. We're all thoroughly behind Alec McLeish and his players on the Open Goal podcast, keeping the ball on the ground, and we hope that Alec and his players get the result that we need to top the group and get into a playoff for Euro. 2020. Right, moving on. Uh, the Jungle Television, Billy. I know you love your your programs. Harry Redknapp, H has been he's been great value so far, hasn't he? On it, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I have to say, you know, a lot of people shy away from I'm a celebrity, but I'm a sucker for it. I would love to have a go at it. I would love to have a go just to see what it would be like if you could, you know. And I think that the person that wins it, they should keep them in for another week to see how they they fare on their own. But I think Harry Redknapp will be great. I mean, he's already sort of. We've had a few laughs from him, and uh, <laughs> it seems a good kind of squad this time. And of course, the word is that they're going to bring no Edmonds in mm-hmm. as the kind of you know the the, the 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 secret you know participant. Five or six hundred grand fee, ball accounts. Below. So that that that'll uh, that'll uh, you know set the cat amongst the pigeons. But it's great, and it's always worth watching uh, just to see what happens. I thought it was great, and and on those challenges, right. you're sitting at home thinking, could I do them? And I mean, I'm claustrophobic. I don't like heights. I don't like creepy crawlies. I don't like rats. I'd be the perfect person in there. I'd be a bag of nails. <laughs> John Barrowman's like a warrant. He's like good. I, mean, I, remember, I remember years ago, and I'm going back maybe about 30, 35 years ago when I was just starting in the Sunday Mail, and a guy used to phone me like every six months, go, oh, I'm a singer, you know, I'm in the musicals and stuff like that. Can you, you know, you write something about me? And of course, he was a very nice guy, but you couldn't write something because he was totally unknown. And it was John Barrowman. He used uh-huh. to phone me week in, week out. Uh-huh. And uh, no, he's done well. He's was done that his well. name back then as well? Aye, the John Barrowman. Yeah, that was. I think he was. I don't know where he was singing, but you know, he wasn't singing big venues or anything like that. But I remember vividly. He used to phone me up and kind of hustle me to give him a mention in the paper. And was his accent the same thirty years ago as it is now? No, I think he actually bought that accent from Richard <laughs> Park. Richard Park was selling it, and uh, you know, uh, he, he, he got the money together and he bought that accent from Richard Park. Is he a good kisser? Brilliant <laughs> No as good as Mark But <laughs> What about Harry's decision To go into the jungle Amazing I love it I think it's brilliant He cracks me up man He um, was talking about his wife last night She does everything for me That was anything. a great story About hosing The, the flowers of the one. jet <laughs> The car <laughs> the Tried to water the plants He's just annihilated <laughs> What was the other thing about Was it Princess Beatrice Princess Beatrice for dinner and he's, uh-huh. uh, He like, loves his horse face And she's like Yes my, my grand He's like Oh yeah yeah She won the, the gold cup He's like oh, The Queen owns that horse And he's like She's like It's Princess Beatrice Never knew Never knew Jamie that says to Maxie Brilliant He's some man Love him 
Uh, and Twitter's brilliant to see all the stuff from like putting his hand out the car. He was in the car window. Did you see uh-huh. it? It was like transfer yeah. deadline day. So uh, no, he's good value. Funny guy, Harry Redknapp. We would like to see more sporting. I mean, we've had a, a, you know some sporting stars on it over the years. Would, would you like to see more? Who, if you it? could pick somebody for Scottish football, going who would it be? Oh, I'd need to be Macca. Uh-huh. I'd need to be Frank. I, I'd I'd put Frank Macca and Ali McCoy standing together. Uh-huh. That'd, be great. Uh-huh. That'd be a great double act, don't it, Billy? Uh, they would win it. They would win it. I mean, I love I love Macca. You know, every time I, I meet him, I bump into him in the tunnels, like you know, and it literally is the the where's the bob. <laughs> and I remember I was walking along Gordon Street one day, and I went, Billy, Billy, and I looked in, and there was like you know all these arms and legs and bodies and hairs and boobs, and in the middle of it somewhere was the bold Macca. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just going for a wee spot of lunch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where they were going. Maybe you know, uh, you know, one of the the lap dancing places. I've no idea. But what, of all the people I've ever met in my life, you know, what, 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 and you know, I, I, I get photographs taken with with people just to have a record of who you. One of my proudest possessions, and it was we did a gig in 1999 for Kosovo to raise money for the refugees in the uh, in war torn Kosovo at the time. The Sunday Mail. It was a, a great gig we did at the SEC with Simple Minds and big country and hue and crying and Maka turned up backstage and Jonathan Watson was the compare of the show and he compared the show as Maka so I've got this amazing picture of me in the middle and Maka in my right and Jonathan Watson as Maka in my left and he looked more like Maka than Maka did it's, it's, it's a great picture fantastic I would like to see a minute but he would let's be honest he'd get to jail wouldn't he Something back. he would get flung off the show but I mean there's been some good contestants over there I mean John Lydon I thought was a great contestant yeah. he was a fantastic yeah. contestant and then you're talking about sports people you know David Price of course eh, no David Price uh, David Hay, David Hay. Uh, uh, was in the jungle was well. and, uh, and, and did great business you know what I mean so it was it was brilliant and Mac has been on the shortlist a has couple he, of times yeah he's made the because I think what they do they have about 50-60 contenders and you get notified you're in the running and, and see I think if, I think if he'd have told him this year that the bird for the chase was in it he would have went straight in <laughs> I, think he would, he, I think he would have been straight in with it. the gags I mean ITV you could just uh, you could imagine them with where I was going to see Ant and Deck, but it's uh, Holly and uh, uh, Holly Deck. was on it. He'd be giving her all sorts, wouldn't he? <laughs> How funny! See, but we did a cooking show with him on every Thursday, and see before we go on the camera, he's he's unbelievable, isn't he? He's so funny, man. Uh, he's partners, bro. I hope he, uh, I hope he gets on it. McCoyce would be good on it as well, wouldn't uh, he? McCoyce would be great. Aye, he would be very good on it. Absolutely. Why don't you put McCoyce, John Brown, and Duran? And Maka and Charlie Nick and throw them all in together and get rid of the rest of the contestants. Just leave them in for a month and see how they go on. That I would watch that. Uh, it'd be top ratings. It definitely would be top ratings. Right, we've had our chat about football. As we say, with Scotland the best tonight. We've had our chat about the jungle. But let's zoom in on our special guest, Billy's own Billy Sloan. Even Billy's like I said at the top of the the show, Marty Pello, Jim Kerr, Bono. Now, I always love the Bono story. And some people don't believe me of a certain age, Billy, but I remember it. Before social media, you two announced a world tour and they didn't have a gig That's in right. Scotland. And you came to the rescue and Bono, was it Clyde? Was it George Bowie's breakfast show? Someone went on and gave no, an interview. What was it? What happened was, uh, you know, they announced a, a, a world tour and they were playing everywhere, Zurich and, you know, Amsterdam and stuff, and there wasn't any Scottish dates. So, of course, as you can imagine, the uproar there was, we started getting letters as it was in those days, or emails. There wasn't anything like social media back then. And uh, saying, this is ridiculous, because... And it was, you know, the, the, the punters were making a very good point, because Scotland was the first place that really embraced you 2 outside their native island. 
So I wrote a big piece in my column in the paper saying that this was an outrage, you know, that, that it was inconceivable that the band could do a world tour in No Company Scotland. Coincidentally, the following week I was down at the Brits and they were getting the main award at the Brits and I bumped into them and Bono says, what are they saying north of the border? I says, honest opinion, yeah. I says, your name's Mud. I says, they're really no very happy. I says, it's ridiculous and there's a lot of unrest. Oh, we'll do something about it, we'll do something about it. I says, well, you better because... It really has gone down like a proverbial lead balloon. So again, coincidentally, the next week, and this sounds very flash, I don't mean it to, I was in Tokyo, Japan, with a Scottish band called the Cosmic Rough Riders who was playing it there. I'd never been to Japan before, so it was a big deal, as you can imagine. And I got a phone call and uh, a message in my, my, my hotel uh, answer phone in my room saying, phone John Giddings immediately. And John Giddings is one of the major players in the music industry in the UK and if John Giddings puts a call in you call him back you know like that. and I phoned John Giddings what have you said <laughs> what have you said hey, we're doing two U2 gigs uh, he said uh, we're putting the tickets on sale on Thursday this was the Tuesday he says we're putting the tickets on sale on Thursday I says when are the gigs he went next Monday and Tuesday and I says you're kidding he went no he says you, you, I don't know what you said to them but it, it hit the target so literally it was in the old days, you know, there was none of this phoning up and booking your tickets online with, you know, the computer mouse. The punters queued up. What they did was they queued them right round Hall 5 because it was freezing, it was November. They queued them right round Hall 5 and, uh, you know, the tickets, of course, sold out in a flash and then it came to the Monday and Tuesday. It was on the Elevation Tour, I think it was. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we gave them a little presentation, we gave them a plaque thing and got our picture taken with the band before they went on. And then at the end of the gig... They were playing one, and Bono says, uh, I'd like to thank the Cosmic Rough Riders for opening the show for us tonight. So that got a wee kind of round of applause. And then he looked down and saw me, because I was at the foot of the stage. He says, and I'd like to thank Billy Sloan, who was the worm in our ear, who kept saying, don't forget Glasgow, don't forget Glasgow. So, of course, by this time, uh -huh. I fainted. I've got, <laughs> I've got birds kissing me and all that, right? <laughs> and then a week later, a mate of mine who runs a record shop says, come down, I've got something for you. And he had a bootleg CD of the gig, and you could hear it as plain as then. And I, I took it and I played it to my, my, my late mother, and I says, listen to that, Mum. And she went, I can't understand what that Irish boy's saying. So I went from the, <laughs> the, 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 the triumphant peaks to the, the depths of despair. But, you know, but that's, that's what they're like. They're nice guys. I mean, I went to see them recently, just a few weeks ago. And I was went to be going with my son down at uh, Manchester Arena. And he couldn't go because my, my youngest granddaughter wasn't well. So we're watching the show, me and my mate. And I got an email uh, from Bono's PA saying, what's your seat number? I've got something for you. And, I said it's section 103, row B, seat 33, 34. And Bono had written me a handwritten card saying, look, I've been having trouble with my voice. I can't, I can't you know, get out to say hi. I'm in kind of lockdown. So he sent me this handwritten card and two T-shirts from my granddaughters. And then five minutes later, I got another email from the girl saying, but the Edge knows you're here, so if you want to come back to the Lowry for a, a drink after the show. So me and my mate went back and... Spent so another, but that's what they're like, you know. I mean, that's what they're like. I mean, they came into Radio Clyde in 1981 on the first ever headline tour. They played, I think it was the 18th of January 1981. They played Strathclyde University with Altered Images as their special guest, and they came into Radio Clyde. And of course, all the hot shots like Steve Jones and Dougie Donnelly and Richard. But I don't, you too. I never heard of them. And I said, I'll interview them. I interviewed Bono in the gents' toilet of Strathclyde University after the show, simply because it was the only place quiet enough and echoey enough. <laughs> And they always, no, he wasn't in there because he was just leaving the cubicle as we walked in, and uh, and Mark Goody was just. Zip <laughs>
<laughs> and they were playing George Michael records in the background. But, but, but that's that's the kind of guys you two are. You know, that, this is the biggest band in the world. You know, the opening night of their the UK leg of the, uh, of the so, World Tour, and, and he's sending me handwritten cards. He doesn't need to bother his backside. Yeah. T- tell me this, when you're talking about you know other DJs and people in the music business, no bothering. I take. Do you listen to them then before it, and they think you've got, and you think you know what? I think those guys got something. Even though they're no famous, I think they could go I'm somewhere, ju- and, and you and you got onto it. I'm just a fan, Mark. You know, I just you know, I'm I'm a fan who got to kind of love his his dream. You know, going to gigs and buying records. Suddenly, those people give me tickets for gigs and and giving me free records. But you know. Uh, you know, somebody once said, you know, you should never meet their, your heroes, but they didn't know what they were talking about because for every MC Hammer and Damon Alborn and, you know, uh, Mick Hucknall from Simply Red, there's a Paul McCartney or a Mick Jagger or a Bruce Springsteen or a Ray Davies or an Elton John or a Rod Stewart or a David Bowie. So, you know, it kind of balances it. And, you know, I would just, you know, go on the radio back in Radio Clyde in those days or in the paper and... Uh, if I th- thought a band were great, I just used to say, I think they're great, maybe you might like them as well. And, you know, I wasn't sitting with a crystal ball trying to predict who was going to be the next big thing. I just thought, I like this record, maybe somebody else will like it and, and give it a play. When you talk about Meet Your Heroes, just one wee quick story, just about myself, one of my favourite bands growing up was Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, and they played in the Merchant City five, six years ago. And I says to Billy, any chance you could get me to meet Lloyd Cole? And of course they did backstage... Right, and Amy uh, Lloyd Cole, one of the well, highlights of my therapy ever since. <laughs> he's, he's, he's no two ups since. <laughs> he, he lives in Massachusetts. He's lying in a darkened room. Seeing himself, seeing his wife. I, I wish it had been Hugh Evans. <laughs> right, on that, we were talking about all these names, and we'll, we'll get into more of it. But you started off in a in a building site. So how have you gone from from being a labourer in a building site? to one of the top music show business people in the UK. At school I wanted to get into journalism but it was difficult as you well know, you've been over that course before. So when I left school I worked in a, I worked in a couple of offices and then I got a job in a building site and it was fantastic. I worked for the old Glasgow Corporation as it was in those days. And you know, you were quite literally shoveling shit. You know, it was a, it was a hard job, it was a hard, hard job, but it was great. You can imagine being in a building site with 150 guys and the crack in the patter. And uh, we were in a building site down in uh, Anderson, you know, the old Anderson yep. bus station. And it was an empty office block and we were kind of making it into rooms and all that kind of stuff. And I was the only guy in the job that didn't smoke and didn't drink, right? And they used to have a raffle every Thursday for the shop stewards fund. And I won the raffle two weeks in a row and the prize was 40 fags and a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and of course the truth was like, ah, he should be barred from entering and all that. But I, I loved it. I mean, you were as fit as a fiddle, eating like a horse, and I, I absolutely loved it. But then I got a chance to, I mean, back in those days, I was about maybe 18, 19. Back in those days, I was earning about 90, 100 quid a week with all the overtime and stuff when my mates were earning 50, 60 quid a week. So I was, I was in the money. And then I, I wrote away to my local paper, the Bishop Brown, Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. In Springburn Times and said, I noticed that you don't have a music column. I'll write one for free as long as you put my name on it. It's thinking if I could build up a, a cuttings file, it would be something to show a prospective employer. And I got offered a job, you know, they were looking for a reporter to cover Springburn. And I went and, and the woman offered me the job and she says the wages are £19.50. And I thought, how do I go from 90 quid a week mm. to £19.50? But I'd, a wee bit of savings, so I just bit the bit the bullet and took it and that's how I get in ah. and suddenly I was covering right. council meetings and girl guide displays and the local guys playing football on a Saturday and it was great training I, I absolutely loved it absolutely loved it and that's basically how I get in first ever gig that you covered professionally first ever gig I covered professionally I, I remember writing this this is a good one I remember it was a uh, jubilee year 1977 and I went down I, I said to my mother I'm not going to be around for Christmas dinner this this year mum why are you working? I says, no, I've got a Huddersfield to see the Sex Pistols. <laughs> oh, this is ridiculous. I tell you, I'm it's, only, it's only one day of the year the family get together and you're going to see a bloody punk rock group in Huddersfield. But I went to see this gig, the, the Sex Pistols played a gig in Huddersfield, this place called Ivanhoe's, and it's become a really iconic gig. You know, the band John Lydon still says to this day that it was one of the most important gigs in their, in their career. And, and I remember writing a piece about it for, for the local paper. It was in the Bishop Briggs and Springburn Times. I'm not sure what the... The punters up in Spam Valley and Bishop Briggs must have thought of Johnny Rotten snarling at the, the pages of the paper. But aye, that's that's where it started. And then I just, you know, coincidentally, the woman who the editor who was the editor, her husband was the deputy editor of the Sunday Mail, and they needed somebody to do the pop column. So I get drafted in, and the rest is history, as they say. Ah, brilliant. Now, so I sat down with, with Jim White, Jim White, Sky Sports. Yeah, you know, it's so amazing. He was brilliant and beautiful, very early on. Beautiful looking man. He, he's looking great, isn't he? He's looking well. Um, you get a few mentions because he was talking about he started off in, in show business and music and kind of vying yourself to, to, to try and get to, to get interviews and he managed to get Bowie McCartney as you have um, as well. Do you remember Jim back in the, the beat then? I, I remember him vividly. Uh, I remember him because he seemed to he seemed to go in, in the morning and he would go to makeup and get his makeup put on. <laughs> and then I'd meet him in boots like three years later buying a baguette or something and he would still have the makeup on. You know, he was he was a an incredibly, you know, beautiful and attractive young male. But no, I, re- I remember working out I mean I worked with him quite closely in a programme called Late Edition, which was this late night chat show that was on every Thursday, it was live every Thursday at half ten, right after the news at ten, so it was a great spot, and uh, the two presenters were Jim White and uh, and uh, Kirsty Young so it was a real big deal for STV back in the day, and my budget per show was, I, I booked all the showbiz guests and my budget was 125 quid, so that didn't even cover you for a, a shuttle flight up from London and stuff and I mean I booked folk like Ocean Colour Scene, Squeeze, 
uh, Della Mitri, mm-hmm. uh, Joan Trading, Curtis Steigers, Mark Hammond, Spark. So there was a good lineup of of musical guests, and we had people like uh, Prince Nazim Hamed. He was the champion oh, yeah, at the time. Yeah. Booked him. I booked Vera Duckworth from Coronation Street. <laughs> your big favourite, Mark, <laughs> and your former girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, I booked uh, Jack Charlton. Was one of the. Uh, I booked. Uh, I also booked. I hate to say it, Jimmy Savile. That was one of the ones we booked. One and he was one of the guests. And it was great to work in the program because it was literally, you know, you were making it up as you went along. And it was good because, you know, I would, if we had somebody like Prince Nassim Hamed on the show, I would do notes for Jim and uh, uh, Kirsty Young who were going to interview him. So I would give the notes to Kirsty Young and I'd give the notes to Jim. And Kirsty Young would read every last syllable of the note and come back two days later. Go see that bit in page nineteen where you say that he did this and did that. Tell me more about that. Jim wouldn't even read them. He would just go right, great mate, right, great mate, and throw the bit. And basically, when he was interviewing somebody, he would have three questions, and the three questions were, "Things are going well for you, mate, eh?" <laughs> that sounds like me. You're, 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 you're doing a lot at the moment, mate, aren't you, mate? So what, what's next, mate? And if you get somebody who was a talker, that was great. But if you get somebody who was like, ah, yep, nope, yep, nope, mate, he then just went back to the first question. So things are going well for you, mate. I mean, so I would give him all these notes. He never ever read them. Oh, yeah. But he was he was a great guy to work because he was so enthusiastic, yeah. and I liked yeah. him. And, he, and, and, and you know, he's infectious, isn't he? Infectious. And then, as they say in West Central Scotland, you know, he was a good foot in the door operator. You know, when you think mm. of some of the interviews he's got, like Charles yeah. Green lying in the hospital bed, and you know Bowie and stuff like that. He was. And, you know, and, and all that stuff. He was a good foot in the door reporter, and you know, his enthusiasm was infectious. But you know, he's never read a a, a, a page of that. notes in his life. I you know, yeah, things are going well for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> things are going well for you. So uh, the, you mentioned Prince Nazim. By the uh, way, he's been on the Scotty McDermott diet. Have you seen him? <laughs> Prince Nazim. Oh, oh, I remember uh, when I had no long started at the Sunday Mail, and he was just coming to the fore, becoming world championship. Going back about ninety-five, around about then ninety-six, and when he used to fight in Glasgow, he fought at the up here a number of times. Alec Morrison was a promoter, and he used to hold his his. Uh, Press conferences and Sati Sings in Elders right. Street. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I Prince Cause, cause when, he, when, when he came into STV, you know, our budget, as I say, was top and safety. So we basically, you know, for the guests, the budget, uh, you know, the the the, the rider clause was uh, three cans of coke, three cans of lilt, two bottles of water. A wee dish of peanuts and a wee dish of crisps, and once that was done, it was done. <laughs> and of course, Naz was coming in and he couldn't eat anything because he was having to make the weight. And he drank a bottle of water, and then he wanted another bottle of water, and of course, we didn't have one, so I had to go and fill it up at the tap. And then when I walked up, I pretended I was taking the cap off to give it. But we, we had him on twice, and he was great, it was good value. We had him on twice, and uh, he, he, he was tremendous value. And, and Kirsty was a fan of the boxing, so she liked him, and he got on very well with her. And in fact, she went to the fight with me, so. Uh, it was he was a good guest and, and Brendan Ingle, his legendary trainer, yeah. who sadly died a few months ago, he was with him as well. But we had to put him on as the first guest at half ten because they had to get, get him back away. to get him into his bed because they didn't want him staying up too late. He wasn't going into the, the corner of the Savarit and no, 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 he he'd had a takeaway for Saturday Sings <laughs> before he came on. Right, so world champions, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in the boxing team now. Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Mike Tyson, Roberto Duran, well, Sugar Ray Leonard, yeah, marvellous Marvin, Marvin Hagler. Hagler. Wow. So give us, a, give us a wee flavour. I mean, you know, I remember I was in the Sunday Mail. I, 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 I'm guessing what year it would have been. I think it might have been about 81 or something. And I got a phone call. They were bringing a movie that Muhammad Ali had, had a part in. And they were bringing him over to London. And... Uh, 
they phoned me up and asked me if I'd like to do an interview. And it was bad for us, as you know, because the interviews were on the Sunday. So that's a whole seven days you've got to keep the interview for the next week. So it meant that, you know, that he would be all over the papers on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So by the time it got to the following Sunday, it would be kind of dead in the water for us. But just to go, and I make no bones about it, I just wanted to go and meet the man. Because at that time, Harry Carpenter, the doyen of... Uh, you know, uh, British boxing commentators alongside the late great Reg Gutteridge, of course, uh, had said that Muhammad Ali was the most famous man in the world. They said that, you know, if you took him up 35,000 feet in a plane, put a parachute in his back and threw him at the plane, wherever he landed, whether it would be the Amazon jungle, Antarctica, in the middle of the desert, the first guy he met would know him. Mm-hmm. And, and it was true, he was that famous. I went away down to the Dorchester Hotel this Sunday and spent the day with him. We went to Radio 1, he was uh, appearing in a live programme with John Lowe, the darts player. Oh, aye, aye. And he had a darts challenge match. I don't know how you have a darts challenge <laughs> match in the radio, but he was throwing the darts, it was like javelin spears, you know, the dart board was nearly... And I spent I spent the day with him, and, you know, at that time, you know, he, he literally stopped the traffic because we came back into the Dorchester, and he'd been up since six in the morning, he was kind of falling asleep, sitting at the table, eating a, a bit of chocolate cake and drinking a cup of tea. And uh, this wee girl came up. Uh, this uh, this wee girl came up and she said, uh, "Excuse me, could I have your autograph, please?" So he kind of opened his eyes because he was kind of falling asleep, and his fingers were all covered in chocolate, you know, icing and cream for the cake. And instead, he said, "Look, give me a minute." He, he he cleaned his fingers, signed the autograph, and she went to walk away. And he went, "Little lady, haven't you forgotten something?" And I thought, "Oh, what, what's going on here?" And I said, well, I heard her saying please, and I heard her saying thank you. What's what's wrong with He went, haven't you forgotten something? And she, she was looking at him, and he went, my kiss. And she'd give him a kiss on the cheek. And then, of course, a wee boy came up, and he signed the autograph for the wee boy. And, of course, he couldn't give him a kiss on the cheek, so he put his hands up, and the wee boy was kind of shadow boxing with his hands. And there was all these wee old ladies sitting having afternoon tea in the Dorchester, no less, and they knew nothing about boxing. And they all stood up. And they gave him a round of applause, oh, and that's how famous he was. So, I, I, and then we brought him up uh, when I worked at the record. We brought him up to uh, Watson's Bookshop at the corner of uh, Gordon Street and Union Street to uh-huh. do a book signing. And this was the one time that Ali McCoyst ever turned up in time for anything. I phoned Ibrooks, <laughs> and there was a guy called Peter. who used to be yeah, the, the guy who worked at the door. Yep. And I says, Peter, where's McCoyst? He went, Oh, he's just finished training. He's just come out the shower and all that. So I says, Get him on the phone, Ali. So McCoy's came on the phone, I says, what are you doing? Nothing. He says, I've just got ready after uh, training. I says, right, I'm up here with Muhammad Ali. Get your ass up here. I want you to do a picture for the paper. He went, I'll be here in 20 minutes. And he was. Now, that's unusual yeah, for him. Yeah. And we did a great picture of Muhammad Ali standing as if he was going to punch him. And I always remember the intro. I says, this was the moment when Super Ali, A-L-L-Y, met the real Super Ali. <laughs> and McCoy says to this day that of all the people he's met, and he's met a few, that was one of his proudest moments, you know. We got uh, we we we, we get Muhammad Ali and, and and him together, which was uh, great. I think I'm doing well getting Gary O'Connor. And this guy's Muhammad Ali. The the football, George Best. George Best. George Best Jim. was appearing. He was doing some talking thing at the Rangers Club. You know, the Rangers Social Club at the back of the Copeland Stand, as it was then. And I knew the guy who was organising it. And when I was a wee boy, you know, George Best was my idol. I had the white Hummel boots, you know, with the two black stripes, which were white for the first time you wore them and then in the red ash and the black ash they were all beaten up and stuff so I had the the, the, the Hummel boots and pictures of George Best on my wall and the guy says come down so I went away down and walked in the room and there was George Best so I've got this amazing picture of me and the Belfast boy I mean I could barely speak he was that great and then 
Uh, you'll know the year. There was the Scottish, uh, the World Youth Cup Championship was being held at, at Hamden. 1989. In Scotland, Scotland yeah, getting it the final, the final and they put, it was under 19 and the Saudi Arabian guys were all yep. 35 and stuff. They had beards and walking sticks and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, the guest of honour was Pelly. So I was on a job in London and I got a five o'clock wake up call, got out to Heathrow for six, got on the 7.15 shuttle, got home for half eight, quarter to nine, got a shower, got shaved, put a shirt and tie on, which was unusual for me, and went in and met the legendary Roger Bailey and photographer Eric Craig, and they took me to Hamden, and there was Pelly as close as um, to you. So at the end of the press conference, when he was launching the event, of course there was a free bar, and all the press guys all ran to the bar, and he was just standing himself. So I had, I'd been in uh, the f- a previous, that, if you say that was 89, in 87 I'd been in Brazil, with Simple Minds mm-hmm. and of course we all got bitten by the football bug and we bought Brazil strips and I had a Brazil shirt so I got him to sign it and he signed it to Billy Best Wishes Pele and I had a couple of pictures I'd nicked out the Sunday Mail file to get signed one of which was a picture of him being tackled by Billy Bremner when Scotland played him in 1960 and Pele looked at the picture and said I remember that game so do my ankles because of course <laughs> Billy Bremner kicked him up didn't and I, I says what was what was your favourite goals you ever scored what was the two goals and he said the first one was his first World Cup final against Sweden where he headed yeah. where he, where he uh, chested the ball and then let it bounce and, and scored and then he said the second most favourite one was when the 4-1 against Italy in the 1970 World Cup final where he headed it down mm-hmm. and, and then he says what about you what's your favourites and I says well it isn't actually goals. I says it was the time the goalie kicked the ball out and he volleyed it for the halfway line. I says, but my all-time favourite was when he dummied the keeper uh-huh. and it just yeah. went past the post. I mean, had that gone in, that would have trumped Maradona as the greatest goal of all time. But, you know, just to stand there shaking the hands of the greatest, foot, arguably the greatest footballer of all time, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, that when you were talking about, you had a great phrase there in terms of, you know, for, for journalism, you said, Jim White is a great foot in the door man yeah, yeah. But you look at all the stuff and we'll get the, the soap operas the boxing the football the music you've got to have a, a brass neck as well haven't you in a good way you've got to have a brass neck but you've also got to have a passion for it you yeah. know I always say you know I mean if, if you went to somebody in Sucky Hall Street in, in, in Glasgow or Princess Street in Edinburgh and said to them like here's the deal for the next six months you can fly the world you can stay in some of the greatest hotels eat in some of the best restaurants go to gigs like the Nelson Mandela Tribute Live Aid you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you'll get to sit in a room with Mick Jagger David Bowie Prince, uh, 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 Paul McCartney you know Elton John Rod Stewart etc etc you can do that for six months the guy would bite your hand off I've been doing it for 40 years but you've got to have a passion for it because yeah. if you get to the been there done it got the t-shirt you know yawn just yeah. just forget it and I mean I still get excited you know when you know you're about to go and meet somebody you know I mean I get really nervous you know even after all this time if you're sitting just about to interview Mick Jagger obviously you're going to get nervous but you know if you just treat them as people and I think a lot of the time particularly with the Scottish journalists the English journalists uh, were always kind of of the opinion that they were bigger stars than the stars that they were interviewing yeah. so they would never ever in a million years ask for an autograph and if they did it would be oh it's for my pals wee sisters paper boys neighbours nephew whereas if I get an album sleeve signed they'd say who's it for and I'd say it's for me and they were like taking a bank but they kind of got uh-huh. the vibe that you were passionate about with it and you knew what they did and uh, so that's it, it pays dividends because at the end of the day they're, they're only guys or, or females they're only people so who, you who's know, your favourite person 
Well, you know, it doesn't get much better than, you know, Muhammad Ali. Paul McCartney's great as well. You know, you know you're sitting with one quarter of arguably the greatest group of all time. And the only problem with him is you interview him for half an hour and he's a great interview. And uh, then you say cheerio and by the time you've left his office to walk back out, you've thought of another eight million things mm-hmm. you wanted to ask him. I mean, he was great... Uh, Bowie was great, I interviewed Bowie seven times and uh, you know uh, I had a quite a good relationship with him you know any time he did anything up here uh, you know I'd, I did the interview with him uh, you know Elton John's great, he's a big football fan you know any Elton John interview for the first 10-15 minutes he's talking about you know I remember interviewing once I don't know what period it would have been at the SEC and he was going on about Amaroos so, oh he's a great player but he's not got the pace and you know you need somebody's <laughs> so, so it wasn't he just, he just didn't know right. things in general he actually knew what he was talking about so there's people like that I remember when you told me because uh, I loved him you should go and see him in concert all his music George Michael and you get into his aye, house to interview him down in London I, at his I, home I went to interview I went to his manager's office and the girl said we're just going round to the house so I just assumed it was a manager's house and, and ten minutes later I was sitting in George Michael's you know living room while he was in making a cup of tea and they were a lovely guy an absolute a gentleman couldn't be any nicer and just you know some of the the, the incredible positions you find yourself in you know Tina Turner or Cher you know I remember one time I was up town at lunchtime and like I was saying earlier with John Giddings if you got a call for John Giddings you return it well I get a message Billy this is Roger Davis call me back immediately this was Tina Turner's manager and the guy who transformed her into a star and they'd been up in Glasgow uh, he was up in Glasgow with Cher because he also managed Cher and she'd think, seen a thing on Scotland Today it was lunchtime that they were going to shut the homeopathic unit at uh, Gart Naval Hospital and she was outraged because she had had an illness and went to all these doctors and medical experts and none of them could cure her. But it was homeopathic medicine that kind of got her through the, the, the dark of the tunnel. And uh, Cher wants to talk to you about this. So I, I then did a phone interview with Cher. And uh, you know she was saying it's outrageous. She shouldn't be closing hospitals. She should be uh, opening hospitals, You know, keeping them open. And she donated 25,000 euros to the fighting fund and then we went in and met her at the dressing room and that. so I've got this picture of you'd like it Cher standing in this flesh coloured body stocking <laughs> so it looks as if she's bollock naked and uh, you know we, we ran it and, and she helped to save the homeopathic unit in Garden Avenue. and talking about I know that your uh, eyes you know widened when I said the words bollock naked then. <laughs> but I, I, went, I once went to Milan uh-huh. for the weekend to interview Grace Jones and we got there on the Friday and Grace had been out to a party on the Thursday night and had come in and taken the phone off the hook and the do not disturb sign in the door and we hung about for three days, we hung about to the Sunday never saw her and in the Sunday AC were playing Inter at the San Siro and I says to the guy, would I be able to buy it? Ah, you'd be able to buy a ticket outside, it'd be about 40 quid or something. But I couldn't go because I had to stay in the hotel. And eventually we didn't see her, you know, we put the, the bags back in the hotel. Yeah, the bags back in the taxi and we were just about to leave and the phone at reception went. And uh, the, 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 the PR guy went, you're not going to believe this, that's Gracie's guy, she's ready to do the interview now. And he says to the taxi driver, he says, he says well, it's a Sunday night, so the traffic wouldn't be bad, but we'd need to be off and running in about 20 minutes. Are you not going to make the plane? So we got to the room and it's chaos. Half-eaten room service trays, bottles of champagne lying scattered all over, you know, clothes everywhere, you know, and all these people lying about in various stages of interest. <laughs> but no Grace, I couldn't see Grace. And the next minute, the the minder guy called, beckons me over to the bathroom. He says, she's having a bath. 
if you want to interview, you're going to need to interview because she's in the bath. I mean, you're, you're kidding. He went, no. Is Jim White in there, man? No, no. Because Jim, Jim White doesn't bath. Jim White doesn't bath. That's why he puts it. You're doing well, mate. He, 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 put, he puts the makeup on, it just stays on. So I walked in and Grace was lying in the bath. So I sat in the toilet seat, I put my tape machine in the bidet and she was all wow. covered in soap suds. But of course the soap suds dissolved, but she got the shower head and started fluffing them up. But... Uh, then after that, you know, she just let them dissolve and I'm trying to maintain eye contact. <laughs> I think when I wrote the piece for the Daily Record, I said that she looked at, she, she had the most exquisite body that looked as if it had been carved from a giant bar of Cadbury's Bourneville. She looked amazing. Uh-huh. And at the end of it, I said, we need to do a photograph. So she, <laughs> she, she leaned over the edge of the bath all covered in soap suds and gave me a hug. I was sitting in the, in the, the floor of the bathroom. And then the next week, by coincidence, she was on Dame Ed and Average at a chat show on Saturday night. And I didn't see it, but my, my, my dad phone went, you've just been mentioned on Dame Ed and Average. You know, Grace Jones said this Scottish guy interviewed her in the bath and when all the other journalists found out they wanted to interview her as well, but she only ever did it the once. And then six months later, she was appearing in Birmingham and I took the picture and she wrote on it, splish splash, I was having a bath. <laughs> Best wishes, Grace Jones. So... That's I've, amazing. I've I've been been in the bath with Grace Jones. Luckily, uh, I wasn't even beside her for, for, for her point of view. <laughs> how, how how you're talking about all, all these names? But how how proud is a as a Scotsman when you see when you've watched them from their, their infancy setting out in music like a Jim Kerr, Simple Minds, a Marty Pello. Wait, wait, wait. How much pleasure do you get seeing those guys and their, their bands grow? It's great because, you know, music is genuinely like football and like boxing. It's one of the things that we Scots are genuinely good at. And when you think of, you know, two guys, you know, Jim Kerr met Charlie Burchill when he was eight in a sandpit and Tory Glenn when they were out playing. And then suddenly, you know, the band are number one in America and they're instrumental in getting Nelson Mandela released from Robben Island after 26 years of incarceration. You know, I mean, it's it's beyond your wildest dreams. And this this is two guys who are a council house in Tory Glen. Similarly, you know, the wet, wet, wet guys, you know, this was four guys who were on the dole in Clyde Bank, no job prospects, were on yop schemes. You know, Marty was training to be a, a, a bricklayer, a, a painter and decorator. Tommy, the drummer, was, a, you know, a training to be a, a, a bricklayer. You know, and then suddenly, three years later, they're number one in the charts, the first of three number one records. So it's it's great. It's a great sense of of pride. But I never get into this whole was like us kind of thing. You know, mm. I mean, you're either a good band or a bad band, and irrespective of whether you're Scottish or Irish or English or Welsh or from any any part of the world. But you know, music is one of the things that you know we've been able to take worldwide. And when you think of bands like the Proclaimers and Travis and mm. you know some of the bands I've mentioned there, you know, it's it's fantastic and uh, you know it's a great experience to see you know I mean Lloyd Cole's a good example Lloyd Cole came up to me in Nightmares in Sucky Hall Street which was part of the, the building that got demolished in the, the Victoria's fire and this guy came up and instantly had an English accent which made him s- kind of stand out is he from, from Leicester the, is that right Derby Derby Derbyshire mm. and he handed me a tape and says here's my band I think we're the best, best new band in Scotland if you like it will you play it in your radio show everybody says that but the band were great, they were called The Casuals, it was before the commotions and I played it, the song was called The Power of Love and I played it on my my, my radio show and on the strength of that play, Polydor Records, all the record companies, because they used to listen to my show on a Thursday, they phoned up and said they wanted to sign him and his manager was on holiday in Ibiza and he went, you need to come, Lloyd phoned him and says, you need to come back, all these records are fo- record companies are phoning me and I don't know what you do, I don't know what you say. So the guy came back and 
four months later they were in the studio and six months later they were on top of the pops Perfect Skin was a top ten hit and Rattlesnake's Lloyd, album right? Rattlesnakes yeah. and, and Lloyd still credits that on the first ever bio that they did he said if it hadn't been for this guy Billy Sloan in Glasgow he said you know we bring this to the attention of the record companies we would never got off the the stamp block. so you get a bit of satisfaction yeah. for that you know it was always the, the problem in the paper that you were dealing with middle-aged guys so you go and say you know this new band for Island called you 2 are going to be big local and they would look at you because they'd only ever heard yeah. the Barbara Streisand and Kenny Rogers but you know they should have trusted your judgment but they uh-huh. didn't but they, they of course never ever came back years later and went you were right and we were wrong but uh-huh. that, well you've attempted to get into like the management side, like an agency side of, of, I did, of the I, I did manage a band very briefly called The Lift and uh, took, took their tape down to London just simply because they had been, uh, you know, I'd been playing it in the programme and the first, I get the subway, I, I get the, 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 the shuttle down to London, got on the Heathrow, get the Piccadilly line right into Green Park, walked around the corner to MCA Records, played the cassette tape to the guy and he was levitating off the seat. I want to sign this, I know you're going to go to other record companies, but don't go, we want to sign it right away. So I walked back out, out to Piccadilly with my cassette tape thinking, this is a piece of piss, this is brilliant. <laughs> of course, the next record company I went to, the guy was ordering a sandwich and, you know, checking his emails and no bothering, he'd never even listened to the tape. The third guy said he hated it, but they got a deal. But I bowed out because it was their thing and... Uh-huh. I bowed out and you know they, they could have had a bit of success but you know I just sort of backed off at that right we're going to round it off so it's been great oh amazing I'm wrapping right, the football and doing the music give us your, fa- your favourite gig Billy favourite gig favourite gig would be I think it's 1992 would be the Zuropa tour U2 played two gigs at the Celtic Park in Glasgow and it was uh, memorable because you know Bono was dressed up as McFisto. The band really were at the the peak of their, their powers in a, in a live sense. It was the perfect marriage of the music and the technology, the big screens, and I'm getting goosebumps just talking to you about it. And then halfway through the show, they did a video link to a bomb shelter in uh, Sarajevo, and they had a woman on the on the video link who was talking to her son who'd managed to escape the fighting, and he was in the audience. So that that was a magic moment. Mm-hmm. Also talking of Celtic Park. Uh, went to see Prince once and I was with a reporter Marion Scott from the yes, Sunday Mail that yep. you know she looked a bit like Morticia Adams and she had been doing uh, you know a doorstep in Prince as he came in in his private jet at Glasgow Airport now if it had just been anybody normal he wouldn't have batted an eyelid but she was quite a kind of distinctive looking female individual so Prince comes on stage he's halfway through the first number and I don't know how his security man did it but in 35,000 people he spotted Marion Scott <laughs> And I was standing next to the next minute, her and I have got our arms up, our back, passes ripped off our shirt, and we get thrown out at Jane Fields. We get thrown at the gig. We get thrown at the gig. Prince had even completed a song. And I'm, I'm standing outside, outside Parkhead going, what, what have I done to deserve this? Luckily, I had a couple of spare passes in the back pocket, and we just went in another door. And I says to Manny, whatever you do, stand up the back, that's it. So the U2 show would be memorable. You know, Frank Sinatra, Ibrox in 1990 for the Year of Culture. That was a great show. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, 2009, Madison Square Garden. That was magic. Live Aid, of course, the Nelson Mandela tribute concerts. There's too many to mention, but if you put me on the spot and said just mention one or two, it would be the two U2 shows at Celtic Park in the early 90s. So that's your, your favourite gigs. Tell us then your, your favourite singer in terms of a, a live voice, a live performance singer, standout singer. Um, I think Sinatra would need to be in there. I mean, I, I saw him for the first time in 1975, November the 12th. 
I think it was his birthday, in fact, or no, December, so it was the, the month before his birthday, and, and uh, in those days, gig tickets were like £2.50, and a ticket for Sinatra was nineteen fifty. but I just bit the bullet and bought bought one, and went to the London Palladium, no less, and it was Sarah Vaughan, Count Basie and his orchestra, and the chairman of the board, so that, that was a bit special. In terms of rock singers, Paul Rogers of Free, Bad Company, I mean, I, I've interviewed him a couple of times, and I said to him, I said, uh, I can't sing, but if I could sing, I wish I could sing like you. So there would be him. Roger Daltrey would be up there. Bono is a very underrated singer. He's a great singer. Robert Plant, obviously. George Michael, brilliant singer. So again, you've got a lot of choice. Brilliant, Billy. It's been a pleasure listening to you, though. You sound oh, like it's been a great, ooh, it's what, 55, 56 minutes. It's just good to Probably. come in and lift the quality of the, <laughs> the podcast. You know, Usually, some bags have got You know, I mean, be, people have been saying, you know. The barrel has been scraped, <laughs> and we're below that, so hopefully we're maybe marginally above this week. And honestly, I can't believe, because we used to work, they get a few, I can't believe I've got through 55, 56 minutes, and he's no mentioned Barbara Dixon and Elaine Page, honestly, and I thought I knew you so well. Anyway, there we are, it's the William Hill Podcast, keeping the ball on the ground with uh, Open Goal. Thank you very much to Simon Ferry, and thanks very much to our special guest, Billy Sloan, it's been a brilliant 55 minutes. I know you've enjoyed it as well. Speak to you next week. Bye-bye. At Leia Healthcare, we always want to give our members more. So now you get unrestricted access to a world of benefits that will help you stay healthy. From convenient video calls with a GP to get prescriptions online to easy access to experts when you finally want to do something about your ropey knee or dodgy back. And if you do need to see someone urgently, our clinics are available for minor injuries, all without you needing to put your hand in your pocket. Let's stay on top of your health in every way. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Unrestricted benefits are available until the end of December. Fair usage policy applies. Sometimes change is simply different. But it's progress that drives us forward. Introducing the all-new Audi A3. Now with enhanced connectivity and driver assist systems in a modern, expressive design. This is vision, not revision. Drive progress in the all-new Audi A3. Audi. Vosbrun durch Technik. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.